Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. With us to crunch all the numbers on today's Obamacare revelations is Jay Koss with the Weekly Standard. Jay, 7.1 million. Is that the magic number that makes all of Obamacare's problems go away? No. No, it's not. First of all, 7.1 isn't even, I mean, that's just a number that doesn't have meaning from an an actuarial standpoint or from a coverage standpoint. I mean, you know, people who have been following this closely know that there is a lot of problems with the 7.1 million number because that number is enrollments. Those are people who uh, clicked through and finished the process at healthcare.gov. Uh, those are not the people who have, you know, begun, you know, making good on the contract they formed at healthcare.gov with their insurers. You have people who don't pay their first month's premium. You have people, a smaller number, are going to pay the first month's premium, but people who won't pay the second month's premium. And then you also, you know, and these stories are still trickling out. You have people who were under the impression um, that they did have health insurance coverage, but in fact there was a problem with the website and their contract was lost somewhere in the transmission between uh, the federal government or the state government and, and the insurer. In fact, there was a story just a couple weeks ago about a man in Nevada in Las Vegas who thought he had signed up for insurance through the state exchange in December. Actually, I think he did it in November. He had a heart attack in January, went to receive treatment, racked up about $400,000 in medical bills. Lo and behold, nobody's claiming him as their client, as their customer, (laughs) uh, because there was a transmission problem. So it's 7.1 million minus is a substantial number. How many remains to be seen? You know, the number that often gets thrown around when you factor out all of these you know, problems is that about 80% of the people who enroll will end up paying. Could be more, could be less. Um, if it's 80%, that'll put the final actual number of enrolled, paid, insured people at about 5.7 million. But there's a, the question that it's almost like no one is asking, and it frustrates me is how much progress have we made? The problem was, if I remember correctly, from back in 2008, 2009, is we had 45 million or so people without insurance. How many people now of those 45 million are now insured? Wasn't that the reason why we went through all of this hassle and pain and expense? Isn't that reason why my deductible is bigger and my premiums bigger, but my coverage is smaller? Isn't that why we did it, Jay? Yeah, that's exactly right. The purpose of Obamacare was to expand coverage, and the method by which it intended to expand coverage was to take resources away from middle-class people, at least in part, take resources away from middle-class people. There were, you know, they, they, they tacked on a new Medicare tax for the super wealthy, but by and large, it was funded through reductions of, uh, uh, in Medicare, uh, Medicare Part A reductions, reductions in Medicare Advantage. And then the other thing they did was they have assessed upon people like yourself, you are now paying an implicit tax is basically what you were paying. And yes, so that was the entire purpose of it. So how did um, it work? And, and, and look, as Bob Lazowski, who's an insurance industry expert and has you know sort of become u- ubiquitous in this conversation, noted on his blog last week, these are not impossible numbers to figure out. Because of course, Michael, one of the things to keep in mind is that it is the government that is in charge of this, almost all of this coverage expansion is happening through government-facilitated sites, healthcare.gov or the state exchanges or through state Medicaid agencies. So this is data 
it's not data that's happening out in the broader economy that the federal government has to go and collect and right. snoop around like it does with, say, gross domestic product. This is data that is streaming through government sites just as uh, just as because of that's what it does. This is data that they could very easily collate. It's not even an issue of collecting. It's really an issue of collating. It's really just an issue of pouring through the data and figuring out what's what. And, and, and they don't want to do that. So my understanding they is... Like, they, like, they like the seven... They, they, you know, today's press conference is the political payoff for them. They're not interested in figuring out how many people are actually paying their premiums just yet. They're not interested in how many people who are previously uninsured getting insurance... They want 7.1, so that's all they're going to say. Until they are absolutely required to give the real number, this is all they're going to say. But would you agree that the real number is we went from 45 million uninsured to X uninsured? That's the real number. Yes. And, the real, and it appears that that seems to be that we've reduced the percentage of Americans without insurance by about 1%, which raises the question— wouldn't it have been easier to get a number like that without all of the job-damaging aspects of Obamacare, without all of the, uh, uh, you know, the, the churn of Obamacare in regular people's lives, without causing people who liked their doctors to lose their doctors? Couldn't, for example, if we had just simply extended Medicaid coverage to higher incomes and let people stay on their parents' insurance until they're 26, just those two things alone, wouldn't that have done almost all of the good that this entire Obamacare fiasco has so, uh, supposedly accomplished? Yes. Yes, that's absolutely right. Um, you know, look, let's take these two you mentioned. So there, there are three. You mentioned two of the three. There are three main, you know, there's some smaller items that are intended to expand coverage, but there's three big ones. The first are the right. insurance exchanges. The second is the Medicaid expansion. And the third is this extension of health insurance coverage to people under the age of 26. I think that historically speaking, the, the third one, the under 26, is something Republicans would have agreed to, um, you know, with, without much quibble. On Medicaid, I mean, this is part of the thing to understand about Medicaid, and you see this happening in a lot of states, is that a lot of Republican governors are interested in Medicaid expansion if it goes along with Medicaid reform. You know, it's very easy to envision a political environment in which Republicans and Democrats come together and they make a deal. The deal is that Republicans agree to expand Medicaid, the Democrats agree to reform the delivery of Medicaid services right. such that it's more efficient and more cost-effective. You know, that was something that could realistically have happened. So the real controversy over Obamacare was with the insurance exchanges, and not just with the exchanges, uh, because again, you know, and this is a Democrats like to talk about how this was a Republican idea, and and Gene Sperling had a piece up on Forbes earlier this week saying that this is a free market thing, and yes, it, and this is the thing when you really drill it down, the exchanges themselves are not, they are a marketplace of some sort, but they are so overwhelmingly regulated. This is it, that it, they really the appearance of competition is really ephemeral. It's not real, right. and you know it's not very hard to envision Republicans agreeing to some sort of you know genuinely free market based marketplace. 
um, where people can, insurers can offer various products that are geared towards winning people over, and people agree to buy them with some sort of federal subsidy. In fact, I mean, if you look at the recent proposals by Orrin Hatch uh, and Tom Coburn in the Senate, and Ovik Roy over at Forbes has made the exact same sort of argument. Um, you know, th- th- this is, and that's the sort of stuff that it could e- expand coverage as well. So there are a lot of ways that they could have done this, but they chose to do it in the way that they did because they want regulation. They don't want choice. They want, you know, they have, for instance, they have feminists in their political coalition, so they have to have mandatory birth control to pay off that interest group. And, and you go, you run down the line and, for instance, throw in the public health sector uh, is in the Democratic coalition, so there has to be all sorts of different items uh, that, to pay them off. And that's why, you know, if you look at the, um, the uh, insurance industry has been complaining that these policies uh, are too big for people. They're bigger than what people right. need, and that, that was the design of politics. That's not market-based uh, reform at work. That's political-based reform. You know, I was watching a video from a couple weeks ago where I live in Pittsburgh. Uh, the local television news station had a conversation with people just as they were about to get uh, their new insurance numbers back or their new insurance premium prices right. for 2014, and they were all astounded. And, you know, one poor guy was a 42-year-old uh, man, and his deductible went through the roof, but now he's covered for childhood eye exams. Now, why does he need that? Because, you know, the political coalition in Washington, D.C. that put this together decided that he did. Jay Cost, excellent analysis here on the Weekly Standard podcast. Thanks so much for your time. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.